How to respond when somebody thinks that abortion should be allowed when a child is diagnosed with a disability. Stay tuned. Hi folks, welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. My name is Cam. I am the host of the show. Thank you all for tuning in, whether this is your first episode or whether this is the last in the long run of episodes. Hopefully it's not the last time you listen to the show um, because we got lots more cool stuff coming down the tube. Um, but I, I'm thrilled to have you guys along for the ride working through how to have good conversations about abortion. I know that for a lot of people, um, the idea of actually being able to change somebody's heart and mind on abortion um, is something of a an optimistic goal, something that they can certainly aspire to, but not necessarily expect. And, and well, obviously we have no control. We have, um, it, it's up to God for, for um, the change that is cultivated in people's hearts and minds. We can absolutely do a lot of stuff to help um, people be primed for that kind of conversion and, and how beautiful that conversion is when it comes to coming to reject abortion in all of its situations. Um, we are well into our, our new year of 2024. We've had volunteer teams across the country out um, week in, week out, sometimes day in, day out. We, we've already accomplished a tremendous amount of activism um, this year already, and we are gearing up for our Florida again, um, Abortion Awareness Project um, coming up here um, shortly. And so it's a really exciting time at CCBR. And I wanted to focus today on um, a, a justification that we hear pretty often and that in some ways is a little bit different than a lot of the other justifications we focus on for the reason that at times it feels like pro-lifers are the ones who are not being compassionate when we say that abortion should, be, should not be allowed for children when they've been diagnosed with disabilities. Um, this is um, a, a child who's been diagnosed, whether with a mental disability, physical disability, whatever we want to call it, whatever um, kinds of disabilities we want to point towards, something that they're going to tragically die very quickly with or something that they may live with for a very long period of time. And so often it feels like we are being accused, because often we are very, very really being accused of wanting children to suffer. We would rather them suffer than to be put out of their misery kind of thing. And it's a very reductionist kind of argument when it comes to reducing humans to a very base level that at times we would put even below animals, right? Like a lot of people will at times in conversation, I think about a number of conversations I've had where people say, well, you'd put your dog down for something far more minor or, or you put a horse down for something more far more minor. We're going to shoot a horse if they massively break their leg. And if we're going to kill a horse for that reason, then why are we not going to allow abortion for a child who's got a severe um, and irremediable uh, medical condition that, that is far more severe than a broken leg? And first of all, let's talk about a few things we don't want to do. Let's not take the bait on the horse. I, I don't know where you're at on horses. I know where some people are at. I know where Quana is at, my colleague Quana. Um, is a big horse person. And um, I don't want to get into whether or not we should be putting down animals, what justifies putting down an animal. And I largely say that because I'm not coming from an area of expertise. I, I have honestly 
had one personal pet my entire life. My little sister had a rabbit um, and devastated the family, particularly my parents, actually, um, when the rabbit died. But I, I wasn't super involved in the rabbit's life in any way. Um, and I have owned a fish. Um, I've never owned a dog, never owned a cat. Um, can't say that I ever hope to own a dog or a cat or any other animal. Um, and so I don't want to go down this road partly because I I don't actually have very good personal experience or very many principles. I have not thought very deeply about um, if or when you should put your dog down or put your horse down or anything like that. Maybe you have and maybe you can speak to personal experience or whatnot. I would even say that if you have a tremendous amount, unfortunately, I suppose, of personal experience putting animals down, um, let's not take the bait, the bait on that. We want to keep this focused on abortion and not the rightness and wrongness of euthanizing animals kind of thing. Um, and we can alleviate that simply with um, an expression or, or a clarification to get us back onto the roadmap by saying, if you would like to extend human rights beyond the human species, um, then, then you can certainly do so. However, couldn't we agree that all living humans should get human rights? And that might get us back on track from um, a putting animal down back into the human rights argument. So that's one thing that we don't want to do. We don't want to get sidetracked because every minute that we spend not talking about abortion is a minute that we spend not talking about abortion. Um, Time is finite, especially in our interactions with the people that we talk to on street corners and on doorsteps. And if we spend 15 minutes talking about whether or not we should put dogs down for different ailments, and then they have to catch their bus and go, then every moment um, that we're talking about that, we're not talking about the issue at hand, the issue that claims approximately 300 human lives every single day here in Canada. And so let's not go down that route. A few other things that we don't want to do. Second of all, we don't want to be dismissive about the reality of suffering, right? That's, I've, I've heard pro-lifers, and at times, unfortunately, I have made the argument as well, trying to demonstrate that those with disabilities don't actually suffer. And, and I've heard it said of, of like, well, I mean, have you ever met somebody with Down syndrome? People with Down syndrome are the happiest people in the world. Um, we shouldn't be killing people with Down syndrome because they're so happy. And we should avoid this on a couple different reasons. First of all, we don't get to see every moment of that person's life. And, and I, again, don't have the personal experience, but I am very confident having known people with um, friends and family members and themselves having disabilities that it's not always sunshine and roses any more than my life is sunshine and roses, right? I, I've been blessed to be a very happy person um, in many ways, and um, God has been very generous in blessing me in my life. And yet for somebody to say, oh, don't kill Cam because he's always so happy, is not what it comes down to. You should not kill me, not because I'm really happy, but because I'm a human being who gets human rights. Um, and the same thing goes with those with disabilities. To say that abortion is not appropriate or shouldn't be allowed for people with disabilities because people with disabilities have a lot of fun or really enjoy their lives or really have meaningful lives or able to experience um, suffering in a whole different way, all that kind of thing gets us away from the central argument again, right? Because I don't want to get into a, a he said, she said kind of thing. Well, my aunt has this disability and she's been miserable her entire life or my child has that disability and they're going to be in constant pain and agony the entire time. 
I don't want to be trying to debate with somebody whether or not their child or their friend or their family member is going to be in agony and pain or not. This isn't abortion's wrong because you don't feel pain or because you do feel pain. This is abortion is a human rights violation because humans get human rights regardless of the pain and suffering they may or may not endure. And so we're not going to try to dismiss this based off of the attitude, the positivity, the good vibes, anything else of people with disabilities. Third of all, and tied with that, we don't want to talk about inaccuracies, especially not initially either. Again, like I talked about in sharing our own experiences um, a couple of weeks ago, there might be a time to share about your own experience of maybe when you or your spouse or a friend or family member became pregnant, they were told that their child might have a disability and maybe they did, maybe they didn't end up having that disability. Regardless of whether or not that child has a disability, you can share that experience as we share any other experience in the common ground factor, but not as a reputation. You know what? I, When my wife and I found out that we were expecting our child and we were told that they might or would have a disability, that was terrifying, not only because we cared for the well-being of our child, but because that was a very daunting experience for us, even if the child didn't endure pain and suffering, um, that would be very challenging for us to navigate all of the medical hurdles that come along with disabilities, that kind of thing. You can empathize, you can share that as you build common ground to identify with the challenges that might come up from that. However, again, we don't want to be saying abortion shouldn't be allowed for children diagnosed with disabilities because they might not have the disability, right? That we don't say euthanasia shouldn't be offered for cancer patients because we might find out that the cancer results were were a, a false positive kind of thing of, of like, no, euthanasia is wrong for adults, regardless of whether they have cancer or not, regardless of whether they are very sick or not, regardless of whether um, their their death is reasonably foreseeable or not, that human beings get human rights, human beings are valuable regardless of any of those factors, that, that your value is not rooted in your health any more than it is in your happiness. And so uh, we're not going to do that one either. Um, again, because what does that imply? You know, don't have an abortion in case your child doesn't actually have that disability. Well, what happens if they do? I get that they're not always right. And you can share the end of that story at the end of your conversation. And, and praise God, our child that was diagnosed and after all of that fear and, and being overwhelmed, our child was born and they didn't have that disability. However, we still valued them re regardless of whether they have the disability or not kind of thing that this can be a part of our narrative that we're sharing but not as a refutation, not as a dismissal of argument, but rather as an opportunity to empathize with, with it. Because we have to realize that there are two components at play when it comes to a child with disabilities, right? First of all, it's the experience of the child. And hopefully every parent for all of their children, born, pre-born, whatever it may be, um, have a deep and profound concern for the well-being of their child. I think that it's very appropriate for, a, ch for a, a parent to be conflicted about how to best care for and manage the, the pain, suffering, agony, and everything of their child. I think that that's 
our responsibility as parents. And yet, at times, that can drive us to, I don't want my child to suffer at all, or I don't want my child suffering to surpass a particular threshold, at which point we become more than parents. We try to become managers and micromanagers of our children's experiences, right? That I don't I don't want my child to fall off a bike and skin their knee. I don't want my child to progressively have greater and greater suffering. I don't want my child, obviously, to be hit by a vehicle. I don't want my child to experience tremendous pain and suffering through an ailment or or anything else. And I think that's right and appropriate for, for parents to be conflicted and, and to have there to be a a difficult tension there when it comes to how do I navigate the pain and suffering and lived experience of my child. Um, however, we do need to have the support of the people around us um, so that we remember that we're here to provide the best possible thing for our children um, and not to prevent all pain and suffering or even tremendous pain and suffering, that um, the well-being of our child, there, there's nothing more devastating to a child than literally their death. Because as much as I, I don't think that people are genuinely buying into Eastern um, religious reincarnation kind of things. This idea of, you know, what I'm putting this child out of their suffering and that idea, it, it's not like that child gets to re-enter the world into a, a whole and not disabled body at another juncture of time kind of thing. That This is a, a gift given that can and will only be given once. And that's important for us to recognize as parents. I know that's some some deep dive in there. And I, I know that there's more that could be said about this. But um, for the sake of progressing through this episode, I'll, I'll move on to the other consideration. That it's not only the well-being of the child, but I do think that there's a very natural, at the very least, if not appropriate, understanding of the parents and and how daunting it may be to care for a child with disabilities, right? That... Um, not only when it comes to what their experience with their with that child themselves and sleepless nights in hospital rooms and in and out of the Ronald McDonald House and all of the trips and all of the children hospital and all of that hardship that a parent is going to go through as they're journeying with their child through the hardship of life, um, that that takes a tremendous toll. On parents, and I don't think that we should pretend that it doesn't. That those who are um, conflicted are conflicted both for the sake of the child and for their own sake. And I don't think that it's pure selfishness to say that a, a parent might be conflicted based on how their life will be dramatically, dramatically impacted through having a child with a disability. Right. This isn't pure selfishness of, well, I won't be able to attend my my beer league baseball games on Tuesday nights anymore. This is a matter of I don't know how we're going to afford all of the travel and all of the experimental procedures and all of this and all of that. Like, I don't know how we can afford it. I don't know how we're going to be able to do it while I mean, I've known people who have taken tremendous time off work, who've traveled across the country, who have slept in vehicles and all over the place to try and provide care for their children. And you throw another healthy child or other children with disability in, in the mix and the impact that it has on everybody's life. I think that it'd be wildly inappropriate to suggest that it's pure selfishness that is driving somebody to be conflicted 
Um, and so that's a valid concern as well. And I'm going to drop in the show notes below two very, very powerful resources, one of which is a video that, that um, journeys with parents whose child was diagnosed with a profound disability um, and, and a video kind of blog in some ways of, of their journey through. It's a very, very beautiful, very profound, very heart-wrenching. So please do have your box of tissue um, by your computer or, or wherever you're at. It's, it's a sad one, um, but sad in a very beautiful kind of way. The second thing I'm going to drop in the show notes is a link to an article called Welcome to Holland, which I think is a profound reflection on uh, a metaphorical approach to having children with disabilities. I think they're both beautiful and profound, and I'd highly recommend you um, check both of them out. And so I'll drop those in the show notes. I've talked a lot about background. I've talked a lot about um, what we should not be doing. What should we be doing? Well, we're going to walk through the roadmap as we so often do. We're going to start common ground. I agree with you that that would be an absolutely tragic situation, not only for the child and the suffering and the pain that they um, may or, or may not endure, but also for the hardship and how overwhelming it would be for the parent. I want to identify both of those because I want to identify the concerns that the person might be having. I agree with you that there are massive problems, challenges, and conflicts that come up through this that impact both the child and the parents and the rest of the family and society as a whole. Part two is starting with an analogy. And I know there's going to be some, some pushback on the analogy. And so we're going to get, dive into that in just a moment after I've walked through the analogy and the question. Um, the analogy, I would say, imagine there are parents of a born child who began exhibiting um, symptoms of a disability. Whether that disability is something that wasn't picked up prenatally, whether that was something that wasn't observed, or whether it was something that, that came about afterwards, whether it was cancer or um, Lou Gehrig's disease, MS, anything like that. Imagine a child is in a, a massive motor vehicle accident and will be disabled for the rest of their life. Would we ever suggest that the most compassionate thing to manage the, the pain and suffering of that child would be to directly and intentionally end the life of that child? If not a born child, if we're not willing to kill a born child who might exhibit a disability, mental, physical, both, whatever it may be, then why a preborn child? Why that same child a little bit before? From there, we go into the human rights argument, um, human plus X, if necessary, draw them towards the pro-life worldview, abortion is a human rights violation. Now, I'm sure many of you are probably thinking either of experiences that you've had while doing outreach or simply the, the natural challenge that gets brought up of what if people say that it is okay to kill that born child it's okay to kill the pre-born child just like it's okay to kill the born child in that circumstance three things that we can do first of all is going to be the really quick thing the first thing that you want to do if they say yes it's okay to kill that born child and they, they kind of cut you off the pass is simply repeat it back to them because in the heat of conversation especially if they're still viewing this as something of a debate, they might say things that they don't genuinely believe. And so I'm going to simply repeat back to them. I'm sorry, I don't know if I understood you correctly. You said that it is okay to directly and intentionally kill a born child, like a two-year-old or a three-year-old who has encountered a, a physical or mental disability. And at least a portion of people are going to backtrack. 
once it's repeated back to them and, they, and they've caught their breath again, they're probably not coming into the conversation anticipating a conversation about abortion. When you knock on their door, when you talk to them on a street corner, they're probably not prepared for a conversation about abortion. And so I'm going to give them that, that opportunity to backtrack on what they've said. And, and I would say that often they will, they will backtrack and say, oh, no, sorry, I didn't hear you correctly. Like, no, obviously you can't kill a born child. Okay, then we're back on track. We're back on our roadmap, if not a born child, why a preborn child um, into your human rights argument. What if they say, okay, I've repeated this back to them nice and slowly so they know what they've said and they say, yeah, I genuinely believe that you should be allowed to kill born children who are experiencing physical or mental disabilities. At that point, I want to gauge where their limit is. As my colleague Blaze, I'm going to drop this in the show notes um, below as well. We've talked a little bit about what to do when they say it's okay to kill a born child. I'm going to drop that whole episode in the show notes. But a major principle in that is testing the limit, testing the limit to understand where they're coming from and help them even understand where they're coming from. Because the entire question, as I talked with um, recently, um, Larry from the um, uh, the Medical Dental Association, Christian Medical and Dental Association of Canada, um, this is a matter of generating two tiers of humans, humans whose lives are not worth living and humans whose lives are worth living. And it comes down to the great question that my colleagues Jonathan and Blaze present in their book, um, A Guide to Discussing Assisted Suicide, that in questions about being okay to kill born children, it comes down to when somebody is requesting or when we're making a proxy decision about suicide, who do we push and who do we pull um, on the bridge? Who do we push off the bridge and who do we pull back? Who gets to be killed and who does not get to be killed? Who, um, who is it appropriate to directly and intentionally kill, particularly as an unconsenting minor? And who do we not? That's a really difficult question for anyone to answer, particularly when it comes to unconsenting minors, right? That as the role of the proxy decision maker is to make decisions in the best interest of the person they are making decisions for. And killing somebody can literally never be in their best interest because, again, this isn't a, a replay kind of option. This isn't a, okay, I've, I've lost too many health points. I'm going to go back to the beginning of level two and start afresh. That's not how life works. This is, um, this is the only life that, that we are, are getting. And there isn't some kind of reincarnation that we get to look forward to when it comes to um, coming back around in 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years kind of thing, getting born back onto this planet. Um, that's not how it works. And, and so testing the limit of, okay, imagine that there was a born child who was blinded, tragically. Do you think it'd be okay to kill a born child who was diagnosed as being blind and never they'll never um, be able to see again? Well, no, you, you can't kill somebody because they're blind. You can't kill a two-year-old just because they're blind. Okay, and so you would say then, we're going to move straight from there. We're not going to push the limit on born children quite yet. We're going to confirm that with pre-born children. Okay, so if we're not going to kill a born child who's been diagnosed as being blind, why are we going to kill a pre-born child who's diagnosed as being blind? And we're going to do that because it's going to tell us where we need to focus our attention. If they say to us, well, no, you shouldn't be allowed to kill a preborn child either if all they are is blind. 
Okay, so you've recognized that they are human like born children. This is not a matter of abortion is okay because they're less human or not human, but rather because human rights don't simply go to all human beings, but rather um, just some of them. So you're going to want to clarify with them whether in that quote-unquote benign circumstance of blindness, um, don't get me wrong, I apologize to anyone who is blind out there, knows people that are blind, I I can absolutely appreciate how important eyesight is. And this is not some pretend minor thing, but just as a starting point, if we're not going to kill somebody who's blind after they're born, why somebody before they're born, if they say, well, because just a clump of cells, okay, human rights argument. If they say, no, you can't kill that pre-born child for blindness either, then you just keep testing the limit. Okay, what about a child that has a disease that is very difficult to treat, but possible to treat? Should we be allowed to kill a born child who's got a disease that could be treated successfully, um, but it's not a guarantee? Okay, if not a born child, why a preborn child? Let's make sure, let's reflect back and forth again, that we are holding preborn children in the exact same light as uh, born children. And once we've identified that, let's test to find where the limit is and challenge them on why that's an appropriate limit and why we should arbitrarily be selecting quality of life or um, incurable disease or terminal illness or or whatever it may be. Um, Why are we setting a standard for whose life is valuable and whose life is not valuable? So that's what we want to do. And the final thing that we want to do, either when we find that breaking point, or if they say that we should always be able to kill born children with disabilities, anybody who wants to die, anyone who we don't think has a a high quality of life should be allowed to die. If it's an all or nothing, which are the only two appropriate worldviews to have when it comes to um, human beings having value, either all of us do or none of us do, we're going to ask the question as to where they find value, how they understand human value and their own human value. Because for a lot of people who are articulating that it's okay to kill somebody else in these situations, it's because they would feel at the time or they think that they would feel comfortable themselves dying. They don't think that they would be valuable in the situation. And that is a very, very dark and sad place to be when we are rooting our value in our attributes and our abilities, in our capacity to do different things, all that stuff is getting a little bit away from age-based discrimination, but simply going towards ability-based discrimination. And we cannot discriminate based on ability any more than any other attribute. And we can put ability-based discrimination alongside other historic forms of of discrimination um, and challenge them and beg the question on if how is age-based or ability-based discrimination any better than any other form of discrimination. That if we're going to extend care and support and protection and suicide prevention, and we're going to prevent people from being killed um, in these situations and punish people who try to, or um, heaven forbid, succeed in harming or killing people in these situations, why the two-tier system for human value? So that's where we want to go. Okay, again, I'll summarize all together. Uh, we are not going to try to pre- pretend that these difficulties don't exist. We're also not going to pretend that abortion should not be allowed because maybe the child isn't actually going to have that disability. We are going to build common ground 
at times, even incorporating our own experiences or the experiences of our loved ones in there. We're going to make an analogy. We're going to ask a question. We're going to flow through the roadmap. If with the analogy, they say that it is okay to kill born children, the first thing you're going to do is gently repeat that back to them to make sure that you understood correctly and they understood correctly what was just said. And if they correct themselves, then you go back to your com- your question through the rest of the roadmap with the humanity and um, human plus X. Um, if they double down, then you're going to test the limit. You're going to test the limit to see um, where is their, their dividing line for lives that are worth living and lives that are not worth living. You're going to constantly, once you find a born life that um, you cannot kill, in spite of disability or or condition or whatever, you can confirm that with a preborn child to make sure that they're identifying the two of them together. If they don't identify the two of them together, if they say that it's wrong to kill a born child with that disability, but it would be okay to kill a preborn child with that disability, what is the difference? Move into the human rights argument. Um, and if you, once you trace the line to find some kind of a threshold, it's going to be a matter of why is ability-based discrimination any better than any other form of discrimination itself? We don't root our value in our abilities, in our capacity, in our suffering or lack thereof, but rather in the very fact that we are human. And that um, because of that, we must respond to these um, situations of profound difficulty, pain, suffering, agony for both patient and their family and their society and, and community around them, um, then why is that any better than any other form of discrimination? I hope that that makes sense. I hope that, that can help you in your conversations. I'd love to mine deeper into this. If there's interest in that, please let me know your thoughts. Um, shoot me an email, email at prolifeguys.com. Um, drop a... a thought on the YouTube channel, please do check out the YouTube channel up to 650 subscribers. That's fantastic. I would love to get us up to a thousand by the end of 2024. And so keep sharing it around. Let me know your ideas for content and otherwise. And yeah, I hope that this roadmap for difficult conversations and easy conversations and whatever kind of conversations about abortion can be helpful addressing the justification through common ground analogy question, the um, focusing on the humanity of preborn children to the the four questions of the human rights argument. Um, Do you believe all humans should get human rights? If something is growing, isn't it alive? If a living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living human? And doesn't that make abortion a human rights violation? Um, And then comparing age-based discrimination to other forms of discrimination. I hope that all makes sense. Um, Thank you a ton for tuning in. Let me know with ideas in the future. May God bless you abundantly, wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. (laughs) 